great to be with you today, and it's just been a blessing to worship with you. Thank you guys for leading us in the the singing and the prayers, the beautiful singing. I heard a very uh, great story last night. Uh, Bruce and Wayne were telling me about uh, when Bruce visited someone in the hospital years ago, and they asked him and someone else who was there, the person was literally on his deathbed, and they asked, they asked him and this person's wife to sing Amazing Grace. And so Bruce and this, uh, this woman did. They, they sang Amazing Grace, and uh, when they got done, the guy lifted up his mask from the hospital bed and said, that was terrible. <laughs> and he died that night. <laughs> Wayne said Bruce hastened his death. <laughs> I am glad. I've been in some churches where I think that response probably could have been uh, evoked, but uh, I'm glad that um, we can be here with such beautiful singing. Um, e. Stanley Jones gave a talk one time, and uh, he was a great missionary. And uh, this time there was a Hindu chairman present. And at the end of his talk, the chairman said, If what the speaker has taught tonight isn't true, it doesn't matter. But if it is true, then nothing else matters. If what he's taught isn't true, it doesn't matter. But if it is true, nothing else matters. Every week we come together and... Like anything that becomes a custom or a habit, you might take it for granted. You might start to think, well, this is just part of my week. This is just something we do. This is just part of American culture where some of the people go to church on Sundays. But what I want to say to you is that when we gather on Sunday mornings, if this is true, what we're teaching, nothing else in the world matters by comparison. This is the most important thing in the world. When we sing and we pray and we open up the scriptures, and sometimes it takes somebody who's not a Christian like this Hindu man to hear it and to recognize it and to remind us that this is the world. This is everything here and now. And with that in mind, let's open in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the truth. Thank you for showing us reality and inviting us in to the real thing to life that is everlasting, life in your kingdom, life with you. Would you please now, even in all our inadequacies and weaknesses, would you open your word and speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. We finished up last week talking about love, love in action. It's a big deal in John. And John says, uh, let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. And we hear so much about love in our society. The word is so casually, flippantly tossed around that we can forget the deep Christian meaning to this word. We can forget that love, as it came to us through Christ, is a revelation. It's a revelation of life from above. And that's what we take in as Christians, and that's what we live out. That kind of love does not just happen to us. That kind of love does not float down from the sky upon us because we're enjoying our television show at night and suddenly we're like, oh, I'm filled with the love of God. That kind of love 
has to be sought. It has to be intended. It has to be planned. It has to be cultivated. That kind of love is a gift. A gift that comes from God through Christ. And as we discover, as we, as we live in this love, we discover certain things. And that's the kind of rubric I'm going to use, the heading I'm going to use to, to guide us through the next part of this passage, starting in, in chapter 3, verse 19. I'm going to notice four things we discover as we enter into deep love and obedience to God, which are closely related, by the way. As we love and obey God, we're discovering certain things. And the first thing we want to notice here is that we discover assurance. We discover that we can have confidence before God on the day of judgment. And isn't that a great blessing? But notice that we discover that as we love. We don't sit around waiting to find assurance before we ever step into love. Look, look at this text. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And for now, we just think about being of the truth as being on God's side. Right? You're on the side of the gospel. You're included in the right group. We shall know we're of the true group. By this we shall know we're of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. Now in this case, I think this by this we shall know is looking back. Maybe looking backwards and forwards. That, that can, it can go either way. But he's, he's building on what we've just talked about. By this we shall know. And, and what is it that we've just been told to do? To love in action, right? To love sacrificially. To love the brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we enter into that kind of love, John says, we'll know. We're of the truth. This is a bad illustration, but it's the best one I have for you right now. So just stay with it and, and see if it helps at all. So great basketball players, great NBA players, sometimes what you'll, you'll hear people say about them is that they're not just great players, but they make their teammates better. You say, well, Michael Jordan or, or LeBron James or whatever, they, they made their teammates better. It's by playing with them that their teammates become better, maybe even become great. But if their teammates never wanted to play with them because they were so great, guess what? They don't get better. Like I said, it's a bad illustration, but stay with me. Sometimes I think what we need in Christ is just to get out on the court. And some of us may be tempted to sit around and do introspection and say, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Will I ever be able to get there? When what we really need is to get active on God's team. And then we find that he is with us. And suddenly we know things about ourselves that we didn't know before. Suddenly we know that we are with him. We are friends of Jesus. Because we have found ourselves loving the people he loved. And our heart has come alive in doing that. And we have realized, of course we're with him. Of course we're of the truth. Because we didn't sit around waiting until he somehow fixed things inside us completely. Before we stepped out there, we got out there and he made us better. And as we did that, we realized, wow, it's a gift. All of salvation is a gift. But it's a gift to live in love. And knowledge comes to us as we live in love. Maybe some of us should stop sitting on the sidelines and saying, 
well, we can never be what we're supposed to be. And maybe we should just get out there and love people really, really well. Maybe we should start loving embarrassingly. Right? Going so far that people are like, wow, man, that was even over the top. Maybe when we start loving like that, then we'll realize what it means to really have assurance, to know we're of the truth. Now this next verse continues the thought, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, I don't even want to tell you how long I sat with this verse trying to understand it this week. (laughs) Pounding my head against the desk, so to speak. Saying, what does this mean? And looking at uh, uh, how it might be differently interpreted. Okay, And uh, it's a difficult passage. I'm going to give you the interpretation that's probably the majority of the commentaries in my office on this. And it fits with what I'm saying, okay? If you disagree, that's okay, too, because it's a hard passage. He says, you know, in verse 19, he says, this is how we'll reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. It seems to be saying that when we feel like we're condemned, whether legitimately, like, like whether we've legitimately sinned, or we're just overly self-critical. Whatever the case, when we feel like we're condemned, there's something we can do about that. We can know who God is. And God's greater than those feelings. Now, at first glance, you see, for some of us, this doesn't seem very comforting. God knows everything? How is that a comfort to me? (laughs) He doesn't just know the bad stuff I've done. He knows the badness of it better than I do. <laughs> he knows the deep roots of it better than I do. But you see, that, that's, not, that's not comforting. How does that help us if our heart condemns us to know that? You see, if we're going to receive this passage, some of us will have to change the way we've thought about God. You understand that if you think of God as harsh and condemning, as God as one who wants to get you, as one who's never really satisfied, who's always looking for you to do a little bit better, and then maybe he'll accept you. If that's what you think of God, this passage has no comfort in it. But if you think of God as one who is full of love, like Brother Terry was talking about when he opened services today, if you think of God who loves you like a mother loves a little child, if that's your view of God, If by the gospel of the glorious Lord Jesus, you've come to see God reflected in the face of Christ. And that is really the only way to get this vision of God right. You see who the beautiful Lord Jesus is, and you say, that's the heart of God. Then you say, even when I feel condemned, even when my heart puts me down, I say, God's greater than that. God loves me better than I love myself. And I can reassure my heart before him. Let me read you something very briefly that Martin Luther said. I cannot trust God without believing that he is favorably inclined toward me. I'm going to say that one more time. I cannot trust God 
without believing that he is favorably inclined towards me. As a consequence, I am favorably inclined toward God and move to trust him from the heart and rely upon him for everything good. You see, to live, we, we always say, we got to live in faith. we got to live in faith. But what does that mean? It means to believe that God loves us. That God is favorably inclined towards us. And then our hearts then are favorably, favorably inclined towards God. We love God. And that's where life comes from. That's where we, we pour out in, in obedience to God, out of faith and love. God is greater than our self-judgment. God is greater than our condemnation. Do you know that the only way we can ever stand before God is because God pities us? God looks at Luke and says, poor Luke. And he pities me. And I can have joy and confidence in that, that God pities me. God knows already, he knows more than we do how, how worthy of condemnation we are. And the pronouncement has already been made, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Who's going to condemn you? Christ died for you. If he wanted to condemn you, he could, he could have done that already. Instead, he did the opposite. So there's nobody left to condemn. And we reassure our hearts in this knowledge. I've been reading... Uh, Steve Seaman's book, Steve who was here about a month ago, and uh, he's got a wonderful book called Ministry in the Image of God, and uh, uh, he has a chapter in this book called Gracious Self-Acceptance. That's the, the title of the chapter. And listen, listen to these words from Carl Jung. He quotes Jung in this chapter, and just hear this. It's really beautiful. The acceptance of oneself is the essence of the whole moral problem and the epitome of a whole outlook on life. That I feed the hungry, that I forgive an insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ, all these are undoubtedly great virtues. Stay with him. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most impudent of all the offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within me. And that I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness. You hear that? I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness. That I myself am the enemy who must be loved. What then? As a rule, the Christian's attitude is then reversed. As a rule, we reverse our attitudes towards ourselves. There is no longer any question of love or long-suffering. We say to the brother within us, Raka! And condemn and rage against ourselves. You see what he's saying? We've been taught to love the weak, to love the, those who are suffering, to love those who are in, in desperate need of help, to love those who have struggles with sin. And we know how to do that. Hopefully we do. But many of us, when it comes to ourselves then, we look at ourselves and we just condemn. Maybe because of things way, way in the past. Maybe because of things very, very recently. What if God wants you to give the love of Christ, not just to others, but also to yourself? And Steve goes on to talk about how when we don't do that, we end up hiding. We hide from others who we really are, and we hide so long that sometimes we don't even know we're hiding anymore. 
except for probably our blood pressure betrays us. And he quotes this wonderful word from Leanne Payne. I put it on the screen for you. If we are busy hating the soul that God loves and is in the process of straightening out, we cannot help others. Our minds will be riveted on ourselves, not on Christ who is our wholeness. Those of you who are in small groups with me, you know how I need this word. Because I can be very hard on myself. Just sit with that for just a minute. Let the Lord speak to you. Have you been hating the soul that God loves? Have you been condemning the soul for whom God says there is no condemnation? You see, here's the problem with that beyond just that it's, very, it's a very bad way to live. That actually keeps us focused on ourselves. And when I do that, I'm not available to love the people around me. As I accept the love of God for me, then it can flow out to others around me. And so we say, if our heart condemns us, God, you're so great. I don't have to live with that feeling. I feel it. it, sometimes it comes on me, but I'm going to set that to the side because I'm going to set my focus on the greatness of God who has already pronounced about me that I am his beloved child. And in that, you see, we can move forward living in love. Okay. Moving down to the next point, next verse. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. The next thing we find as we live in love and obedience is we discover power in prayer. I don't think we have to take this as like a rigid rule, some kind of magic formula it says, whatever we ask, we always get it. You know, you ask for a brand new car, it's going to show up on your doorstep. I mean, nobody, nobody's ever believed that, I don't think. <laughs> Maybe they have, but it's been a very disappointing life if they have. No, I don't think any of the great saints would tell you that that's the way it works. That you just ask for something randomly, and it's just going to show up, uh, and whatever you want. We, we learn to ask according to his will. We learn to seek things according to his will. We learn to pray as we're, we're living life with God, to trust Him. But I think it's fair to say, if we're going to just listen to the Scriptures, that as we grow in Christ, we should learn what it means to have prayers answered. Individual prayers, corporate prayers, when we come together and pray. We should learn that God answers prayer. Many of us struggle with prayer. We shouldn't beat ourselves up about that. There's a lot of learning to do when it comes to prayer. Learning the appropriate ways to pray for ourselves. Learning to pray in the way that best fits us. Some of you might be helped a lot in your prayer life if you just learn to walk while you pray. Maybe. You've thought 
you have to just sit perfectly still, and, and that sounds like drudgery to you, and so you try to get it over with as fast as you can. Well, take a walk, <laughs> but make it a point that you're going to be with the Lord while you walk and pray. We need to learn how to pray, not treating God like he's a cosmic vending machine, like we put in our order and we get it, or like we're ordering at a restaurant, and then we sit there like, it never came! <laughs> we put in our order and it never came. It's more like we're planting a garden. And we're praying for the growth of those seeds. And we go out and we till and we water. We continue to pray and we know God's involved and we wait for his action. Sometimes we wait quite a while, but we're waiting and we're looking and we learn to see him act. And if I were to open up the floor in here today and ask you to talk about answered prayers, I know with a lot of you we would be talking a long time and we wouldn't get out of here until tomorrow probably. (laughs) If we went around this room talking about all the ways God has answered prayers. We would tell stories about things so trivial as people praying for an Xbox to work. And suddenly it does. These are true stories. We would tell stories of healings. We would tell stories of emotional help. We would tell stories of how our circumstances changed when we didn't think they would. All these things we would find uh, that we could just bear witness to, to answers to prayer. And that is so true, but, but look at what John is doing here. He's tying this to our life. It's as we love, as we keep God's commandments, as we do the things that please him, we learn to find power in prayer. This is part of a life. It's not like a party favor that gets handed out as we go. This is part of a life with God, lived in love and obedience, where we find prayers being answered. We've seen so many answers to prayer. But what happens if we start living closer to God's heart? What do we see then? And how do our prayers change then? Because guess what? When we start loving more radically, we start praying more in line with love. And we're getting more and more into the will of God. And we'll see more and more answers in that way. So as we said last week, let's step further in. Let's seek a little bit more of the life of God. And let's see what happens. Look at verse 23. He said, keep his commandments. In verse 23, he says, and this is his commandment. And he summarizes two things, basically with, in a singular, as if, if you say this is a summary of it all, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the faith that's been handed down to us. We believe in Jesus We believe in Jesus, not just as anybody else, not just as a great teacher. This is God's Son. This is the only one in whom salvation is. We believe in Jesus, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. This is the summary of it all. You know what the problem with the church is? We're doing so many other things. We've got our agendas and our plans and our pursuits outside the church, sometimes inside the church. We've got all kinds of ideas for what we're going to do to make things grow, make things work better. And we haven't backed off and said, hey, let's trust in the great name of the Lord Jesus and let's spread his glory all around us. And then in light of that, let's just love each other. That's the first goal we have as a church. 
Believe in the glorious Lord Jesus and out of that faith pour out love on each other. Let everything else take care of itself. And we don't do those kind of things. We put ourselves poured into all kinds of other things and then we wonder why is our spiritual life stagnant? When we haven't done the very first thing. <laughs> Embrace the mighty Jesus deeply in our hearts and start loving each other beyond what's normal expectation. We have no shortage of people to love. We don't need more money to come in but to start loving people. We don't need more people to come in to start loving people. We don't need new building facilities to start loving people. We just need to take the gospel seriously, to believe in Jesus as the greatest ever, and to say, because he's so great, I'm going to step out further into love. John is repetitive in this book. And so we have to be repetitive too. In fact, legend has it that when John was an old man, they had to, if I remember right, they had to carry him into church. And all he would say is, little children, let us love one another. What if that was just the message we had passed all around? What if that's what theology schools taught, taught people when they went to school? Let us love one another. That's what we need to be reinforcing as a church. As we love and as we obey, we discover assurance. We discover power in prayer. We discover what it means to abide in God. Look at verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. I want to tell you, I think this is a huge understanding. And in the church, we have largely ignored it. Because it's a little bit fuzzy. It's one of those things that, that you can't exactly maybe pin it down on what the meaning is. And we'd rather reduce it to saying, well, we, it, it means you keep his commands. But if that were the case, John's just been redundant. His statement would be something like, uh, whoever keeps his commands keeps his commands. <laughs> whoever, he didn't say that. He said whoever keeps his commands abides in God. And God in him. There's something else. It's happening here. And we might define it, at least get close to it. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that's a little bit, like I said, it's fuzzy. It's a little bit hard to understand. We might say it's, it's a relational intimacy and a spiritual union with God. And it's something that we discover more of as we walk with God. It will be felt it will impact our thoughts. And we have to just enter more deeply into it. We don't need to feel guilty because we're wondering, well, what, have I ab been abiding in God as, as well as I should have? Or why haven't I had exactly the feelings that somebody else has had? But we do need to know our calling. John's calling to us is not just to get a list of the commands, even if they're good commands like love, and go do them. Our calling is to have an intimacy with God. To know him, as, as the first chapter says, to have fellowship with God. To learn how to talk to him. 
and to hear from him and to let him direct our steps. To learn what it means to say he is near. The Lord is near. And then to live out of that in love and obedience. We do not just have an example in Jesus. We have that. What a great example we have. But if that's all we had, we'd probably end up very, very discouraged. What we have is a life in Jesus. We have participation, a spiritual reality where we begin to drink from the same well that is Christ. To take into our lives spiritual reality and then that comes out in love for others. And as that happens, we know we don't take credit for it. We know it's not just us and our power and our, our wisdom and our might doing things. It's, it's God at work in us. And then the last verse here says, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. I'm not going to do this justice right now. Um, we should talk more about what the Spirit is doing uh, generally and in 1 John uh, specifically. But here, if we just want to get to this context, and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up quickly here. Uh, if we want to get to the context, the, the emphasis here in, in John is on what the Spirit is doing to, to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ and to make that real in us. Okay, so the last, the last point here, I'm going to read these, these last six verses here. We discover that power is at work within us. Verses 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Okay, he said the spirit abides in you. And then he's talking about the, the spirits. Not all the Holy Spirit, but there are different spirits who would confuse, who would make us believe things that aren't true. Okay, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let me tell you, that's still true today. There are all kinds of false ideas out there. In our world today, we could just start naming them. There are extreme things. You know, I saw something online. I didn't look this up before the sermon, but I saw it a week or two ago. I think the largest gathering of Satanists that has ever occurred, something like that, was in, poured into some city in the United States. Recently. This is just a couple weeks ago. Now that's... That's some crazy stuff to think you've got uh, large groups of Satanists out there gathering, I guess, to, to worship Satan. I mean, this is awful, really. And that's an extreme, but let's just roll it on back to the false ideas, okay? This is a, uh, well, let, let me read just a little bit further. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Antichrist, anti-Messiah, any spirit that doesn't want us to see Jesus for who he is. Spirit of the Antichrist. And that's all around us. That's there in what is presented as the morally virtuous way of our world, pluralism. Jesus and Buddha... And Muhammad and every other great leader of the past, every other religious founder, whatever, they all have the truth. And they all can just be mixed together on the same level. I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying that all is bad in those religions. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are no competitors to Jesus Christ. 
And anything, any system of thought that draws us to believe Jesus is down here with everybody else, that's of the Antichrist. And we have to repudiate those things because it is all around us. And people will make you feel like you are morally bad if you don't say they're all just the same. They're not the same, not because we're better than other people. They're not the same because Jesus Christ is better than every single one who's ever lived. He is the revelation of God. He is the only Son of God. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Right? John's, John's audience was faced with false ideas too. And he says, you have overcome, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And do you know that at the end of the day, the reason we are enabled to withstand the assaults upon our faith is because we have a power at work within us. And it is the very power of God. And so we have overcome. Guys, you have overcome. If you're in this room today with your confidence in Jesus Christ, aligning your life with God's will in the face of everything else that could have brought you down, you have overcome because greater is he who is in you than the one who's in the world. You haven't overcome because you're so wise or so smart. You have overcome because God loves you and has marked you by his Holy Spirit. And you have a knowledge of the truth because of that. Listen, we can talk about the arguments and do that, and I'm very much a believer in that. We can show the reasonableness of the Christian faith, but that won't get you into a life of goodness and trust and love, all of that kind of thing. What gets you there is the knowledge you have from the Holy Spirit. When you are at rest in God because He is in you and you are in Him, and that power is overflowing. I'm just going to stop there. Let me say to you, you are the people of God. The Spirit of God is upon you. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know the truth. And because of that, if you so desire to be, you are undefeatable. You understand that? It's never been about us. You're, by myself, I am very, very defeatable. But God has seen to that. And he said, Luke, I'm going to put a power within you that cannot be defeated. And so I can't be defeated because I am marked by the Holy One of God. And may the Lord take that knowledge. The knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the gospel. The knowledge that Jesus Christ is the glorious Lord over, of the whole universe. He is Lord over all. May he take that knowledge, ground me in it, and then let me pour out with his love upon his people by his power. May he do it for all of us. Praise the team. Would you come on up? And I'll pray for us as you come up. Lord, we do ask you to reignite the flame within us by your Holy Spirit. That as we abide in you, we will know just what a great power is within us. And Lord, in that knowledge, teach us to live 
in real, deep, and true love for others. We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.